I was going to say Tracy needs no introduction, but I will introduce Tracy. And she is the Minpaku Queen of Japan and the one and only short-term stay expert um, that we know and love. And she also consults globally to, um, she doesn't like when I say it, but Airbnb, mainly Airbnb, but yeah, short-term stay hosts all over the world. And published author, much beloved speaker, so give it for Tracy Northcott. and it's so great to be back in person and actually in a live event. I'm so excited. So it's great. I've been running Zoom events for the last couple of years. It's just so nice to see everyone's faces new right here. Um, I feel like a bit of an interloper actually because um, I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey um, and it's not really a, a real estate journey. This is, you know, because Minpaku, it's a hospitality, it's a hospitality job. So I'm going to break some myths. So, what a, hang on, can I press the button? Oh, it's been difficult again. There we go. So, I'm going to talk about Minpaku, um, the history in Japan, um, the Airbnb effect, uh, types of licenses, um, and I'm going to get into sort of some myth busting, so break down some of the misconceptions that you might have about short-term rentals in general, and also in Japan. And then I'm going to get into some case studies and some nitty-gritty numbers. Ziv showed his magical spreadsheet just before. I have my own magical spreadsheet. If the numbers are a bit small, I'm really happy to share this, uh, this, this slide deck afterwards. I'm not a woman of mystery. I'm not someone who like hides all my information. So I'm really happy to, to share all this information later. And I'll also do some comparisons with a long-term rental versus a short-term rental for all of you investor types. Oh, I'm wrong way, this way. So who am I and why should you listen to me? Well, my name's Tracy. Um, I have been in Japan for 23 years. Um, I am the vice president of N4. My brother is floating around somewhere. He is the president of N4. Um, I came here as a software engineer with him and we do mainly language services for mobile phones, which is a different job altogether. But I'm also the CEO of Tokyo Family Stays. I started that 10 years ago. Um, and I'm also the CEO of Tracy Northcott Consulting. And again, this is where I help hosts all over the world with their short-term rental profit, profitization, profitability, monetization. Um, I am a blogger, I'm a speaker, I'm a best-selling author as of last year, which has been made into a Netflix series, actually. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. Um, but my focus is really on branding and guest experience. So again, I feel like in a real estate seminar, I'm a bit of an interloper. So, but in the past, I have been a Golden Guy bar manager, um, and I'm also a chemist by training. Again, fairly random. But basically, I'm a multi-passionate entrepreneur, jack of all trades, master of none. So, oh, wrong way. Can't really use your clicker. But here is uh, myself and my husband. Um, we run Tokyo Family Stays. I started it and then I brought him into the business. So I started with a single unit in 2011 um, and grew the business very, very quickly um, to 25 units in 2015. Um, it became a seven-figure empire, sort of, it took us completely by surprise. We have a number of cleaners, a multilingual team, um, and we went through the, the government licensing laws in 2018, which, if you buy me a beer, I'll tell you all about that, all about that journey. I'm a licensed property manager, which is a Minpaku Kandi. I'm also a, a hotelier, so Ryokan Gyo, and a, mem, and a Minpaku Minkyo. Hosted 12,000 guests or more over the last 10 years, and I built really strong community ties. And Ziv can, uh, you know, test, has a, can testify to that in person because I showed him around my neighbourhood yesterday and introduced him to all my favourite, uh, all my favourite restaurants. Um, and they welcome me with open arms and they bow at me and your money's no good here, Tracy, they say, so. Um, but I also feel very strongly about, um, you know, giving back to the community. I offer my houses to, as emergency, um, as emergency centres for families, usually, um, unfortunately, escaping domestic violence. Um, I contribute to uh, women's NPOs. And also I donate a lot of the household stuff that we sort of don't need anymore to um, at-risk people. Again, clicker, wrong way. Um, so let's just talk a little bit, I'll take a little bit of the journey through the Minpaku story through, through Japan. So Minshuku 
um, are family-operated B&Bs. So they're usually in rural areas, they are family-run, they are uh, um, the Japanese-style bed and breakfast. We all come are more, they're a bit more shadow, they're a bit more, they're a bit fancier, they usually have um, more of a hotel feel. They're different products, different customers, different price points, different experiences. Um, they have a long history in Japan. The oldest company in the world actually is a, is a hotel. So it's, it's, it was founded in 705 AD, um, and it's the oldest hotel in the world still in operation. So that's a very, very long tradition. So for any, anyone who's a bit of a dictionary nerd, um, so uh, min, min, the word minpaku only came into the lexicon around 2003. And it's a sort of a combination of a, of a couple of words that have been around for a while. That's minshuku. Um, and um, so minpaku became, so the paku is like an overnight stay. And also, there's another word which is shukahaku. So, a combination of all of those became minpaku again, which is a fairly new word. Um, the source is my kanji dictionary, which you can get on iPhone. So, where, where were we with the inbound uh, tourist growth? Um, I'll give you the abridged version because there's a, there's a lot. So, um, mid range hotels in Japan were never really family friendly. A lot of them are smelly, stinky. Um, and they really don't have any English booking systems, so they were never really great for inbound tourists anyway. Following the GFC, there was a massive push by the Japanese government to bring in more tourists. However, they did not do a lot of, you know, work on the infrastructure. There was not a lot of, you know, support. It was like, yes, let's bring all the tourists. Let's not really know how to cater to them. So. There was a massive surge, from, um, especially with the visa restrictions from places like Thailand and Philippines. There was a huge surge of, of inbound tourists. Um, and there was a middle-income traveller absolute boom. Hotels were pretty, pretty slow to, you know, to, to really catch up with the, with the needs of all of these inbound tourists. Planning, constructions, the mid-budget hotels just were, were, were never really a thing here. And that's when there was a, like a a perfect storm of hosts getting into the market and, and Airbnb starting and, uh, and it sort of coincided with all of this increase in tourism and also the, the rise of the, you know, the digital nomad. Um, Airbnbs offered a family friendly, a budget price um, and also an English booking system which the Japanese hotels just didn't have. So if you look at this, <laughs> this was, uh, so in, there was 20 million tourists targeted um, by, by 2020, and then it, then they quickly hit that 20 million tourists per year. And it, by uh, be, before the Olympics, they, it, it was raised to 40 million. So initially, it was like 20 20 million people by 2020. Isn't that a lovely number? But it just they overtook that, and they increased it to 40 million. So, but not enough places to look after them. So, where are all these tourists coming from? Majority are coming from China, again, with these visa re restrictions being reduced, South Korea, Hong Kong. Um, and, and of course, where are they going? They're coming to Tokyo, they're going to the, the, the Golden Triangle. So Tokyo, Osaka, Kyoto. The problem with the hotels, especially in places like Tokyo and Osaka, is that land is very expensive, as we've discussed today. So what a lot of investors want to do is obviously get the maximum ROI on the land. And you don't really get that with a mid-stay, with a mid-priced hotel. Um, but so the hotels, big hotels normally have a smaller, cheaper arm. But that was in, in, in the US, you'll see that the big hotel chains have a cheaper budget, a budget chain hotels as well. But they were never really um, opened up here. Um, Minpaku, however, uses existing, uh, existing assets, so houses that are empty, um, you know, all of the empty apartments. As we heard, prices here have been very flat for a very long time because of the Japanese economy. So this led to a massive increase in the number of avail available properties um, for Minpaku. Then there came a backlash. All these tourists in, in, uh, in communities where, which are normally sleepy and quiet, um, 
there was a whole bunch of like, who are all these strange people walking around with suitcases? Of course, fear of the unknown, fear of, fear of, uh, fear of things that are different meant there was a massive backlash. Um, there was, so there was no increase in the infrastructure, but all the tourists were going into the suburbs and everyone started to get a little bit, little bit uh, scared of that. Um, the other problem is there's a lot of Airbnb hosts doing it very badly. So they were, they were not, looking, not looking after their properties, not looking after the communities and not being very responsible, um, not being very responsible hosts, just thinking, oh, it's easy, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna make a bunch of coin and you know, not really you know, give a damn about everyone else in the community. So press picked this up, there was a lot of TV shows doing like, ah, look, there's a secret Airbnb in this, in this, in this, uh, in this building, let's catch them. And that was quite popular for a little while. Um, and Airbnb really dropped the ball in this case because they didn't do a good job of educating the value that uh, having all these tourists in local communities were offering. So generally speaking, between 2015 um, and 2018, there was a fairly poor image of um, Minpaku in the community. Licensing. <laughs> so what happened was, was that of course, regulations came in. Um, the old laws uh, managed by the Ministry of Health, Welfare, sorry, Health, Labour and Welfare, and a lot of the laws until this time were actually on the books from, from 1948, so they're pretty outdated. Um, hotels were considered a Western-style structure. Inns are considered to be a Japanese-style structure, so that's Ryokan and the Minshuku. Um, and then there's common lodging houses, which are pensions and youth hostels, and boarding houses. These are places like monthly mansions and guest houses. So, license, so in all of those top ones, you, need a, you, you needed a license in the old regulations. The ones down the bottom, they didn't really need a license. Um, license wasn't required. Cleaning was, um, cleaning was not included. And there was usually a 28-day stay minimum. That was sort of the regulations. Um, there was a grey area in this, in, this, uh, in this sector. And so, um, so that changed in 2016. So the new category was invented, this Minpaku law. Um, it was passed in March of 2016. Uh, the Airbnb lawyers had a lot to do with actually passing this law because um, the danger was that because of all the backlash that this short-term rental was gonna be completely outlawed. But with a lot of negotiation, um, they managed to have a 180-day, uh, um, which, there is issues around that, let's just say. But it, wasn't, it was passed in March of 2016, but it wasn't actually rolled out until um, June of 2018. Um, I don't know if, if you were here at that time, there was, um, uh, when that law was actually rolled out, there was a massive, a massive disruption in, um, in the marketplace. Airbnb basically dropped everybody who didn't have a license. Lots of, uh, lots of people were left out in the street. It was a huge, uh, huge scandal. So, um, the, the laws are, and I'll give you the, if you wanted to get into the nitty gritty of the laws, I can get into it with you. Um, again, you can buy me a beer later, that's fine. Um, so the restrictions are there is 180 days maximum, um, and that is for short stays under 28 days. If you're renting over and above 28 days, it's classed as service departments and you will need a short stay tenancy agreement with your tenant, but it's not classed as a short stay. But to get regulated, this is the tough bit. You have to have very strict, um, very strict fire restrictions. You have to have, it, have to have inspections. You have to be reporting um, nationalities. You've got to keep things like everyone's passports. Um, and you've got to keep the number of dates, and these have to be reported into the government every two months. If you if you go over your 180 days a month, then you're up for fines. So it's 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 a fairly strict uh, fairly strict um, boundary. However, once you have your licences, it's uh, um, post licensing. Um, if once you have your licences, then you know your framework and then you're all above board and you are legal. But because it was so hard to get all of these licences, you found that after 2018, the number of actual listings dropped dramatically. Um, 
most people who are in mansion type apartments, it's not really possible. So you don't really see a lot of um, minpaku in apartments. But that's a, that's a benefit, really, if you, if you do take it seriously, because there was less competition in 2018. Um, there was a rise in professional hosting operations and property managers, which again um, is, is a good thing. Uh, there is an increased standard of hospitality, because again, pre-regulations, pre there was a lot of people doing it very badly. Um, and there's then, as the market matures, you're getting to a point of a lot of market segmentation, niches, niche marketing, and all the opportunities you can get with a more of a mature market than a disrupting, a disrupting market. There is a rise in Ryokan licenses for single dwellings. Um, I actually have one of myself, so I actually um, live in a house, and I have a one-room hotel in my house, um, and that's because of the way that the law is structured. Slightly harder to get that license, but um, a Ryokan license is much better because you can rent 365 days a year, and you do you're not subject to all of the um, the reporting that you must do every two months. So here we get 2020. So <laughs> my business, we had had a five-year plan. So after the um, when the Olympics were announced, we said. Let's get serious, let's make a five-year plan, let's really gear up towards, the, towards 2020. Um, and we decided that we were going to get licensed, we were going to, get, um, we were going to follow all the rules and have the, uh, have the best year of our lives. Chinese New Year happened, we started to get cancellations. It's like, what is this? What is this? You know, why? it's just the flu, what's the problem? So um, then the, in February, the Tokyo Marathon had been cancelled. Hanami was cancelled, borders closed, um, global pandemic declared, and then the Olympics were, were postponed. So this was my timeline of terror, my timeline of horror. Um, when you when you have all of your when all of your business plans are geared up towards 2020, I've had therapy. It's all good. I'm fine. <laughs> but I did sit on the floor for about three weeks, going, "Oh my God, what is happening here?" Um, so uh, that's been my, I, I don't want to really dive into the pandemic because it, I see it as a bit of a, as a blip in the, in the you know, inbound tourism market here. Um, but then, um, but at that time, because it was so hard, uh, many, even licensed Minpaku um, hosts, they left the market. They went off and did other things that, um, that they were probably wanting to do. So. So from 2020 to 2022, doors were shut. It was closed. So again, I sat on the floor and went, oh my God, what am I going to do? Um, but I'm still here. So, so 2022, the borders reopened again. Revenge travel is a thing. Um, you're probably seeing it now. Um, there, you cannot walk down the street without running into somebody from another country. So there's been a lot of pent up demand. So the people that cancelled in 20, 2020 to 2021 are coming back and they're wanting to come back. So that's what I'm seeing now in, in the market. And so well before the general opening um, in October of last year, there was uh, the, the Japan tourist marketing really started ramping up. Um, you know, the, the government were really trying to, again, let's get people back again. <laughs> let's get people back again. So I'm feeling bullish on the rebounding of the inbound tourist demand. Uh, I think it's already happening. Um, and before the October 2022 um, borders reopening, business people were coming back. So the relocations were coming back. And also foreign talent who had been locked out of the people who had working visas, had been locked out of the country for 18 months, were now being started to come in. So this is my history lesson finished. Uh, I just wanted to know if anyone had any questions at this point. Um, about um, the history lesson before I start to get into the into the numbers of, um, of, of what it actually is like to run a short-term rental. So, you don't mind. Thank you. Probably a stupid question and not sure if this is the right moment, but for the licenses, the Mimpaku and the Ryokan license, do you get them as a individual person or as a company or in 
do you need, if, as an individual person, do you personally need to speak Japanese or can you get it with the help of a translator? That's an excellent question. Um, thank you for asking that. Um, the Minpaku Kandi, you need to be a licensed, sorry, you need to be a company. Um, I actually have two Minpaku Kandi licenses. That's a, basically a property management license. Um, and for that, you need to show the directors. Um, you have to sign declarations that you're not crazy and that, you, you know, that you're not bankrupt or the, the usual way is you stand up in front of a judge and say, you know, I am a good quality person, please let me have a license and they will do it. Yes, you do need to have someone who speaks Japanese. I hired out to a scrivener and I can never say this, Ziv, I can never say this word in Japanese. What is the term? Shisho, shisho, shisho. I can never say it. <laughs> we have to practice it. But yes, I hired somebody to do that. Um, it's, I could possibly do it, but um, my time is much better spent elsewhere. Um, and I really don't enjoy forms. If you tick all the boxes, if you, there's, so if you go to the ward office and they will tell you, um, they will tell you what the requirements are, you cannot negotiate. It's like, can you, do you meet this criteria? Tick, tick, tick. And as long as you meet all these requirements, the, the civil servants there go, yep, stamp, done. Um, but yes, Japanese is a requirement. It doesn't, but, it, but in terms of you holding a license, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, what, what you know, if you're a resident, um, that's fine. Um, so, and, and then they come and uh, the, the um, the properties are the ones that have the license attached to it. So the country is you as a company, and then the actual um, uh, the license for the house is actually for the house. So you need safety certificates, so a bit of like retrofitting on the the fire alarms, that type of thing. But it's a very well documented. Um, you know, if you follow all the instructions, you're done. Agreed. Yeah. It's not, I'm not, I'm, it's not for the faint-hearted though. <laughs> Let me just put that right out there. So, I can keep going because we're going to get into some numbers. Some, yeah. First, I want to do some myth busting. So, what is it actually like to be a working host as a Minpaku business? So, a lot of people think, oh, hosts have to accept everybody. You know, it's like anyone who wants to knock on my door, I have to accept everyone. Um, and then you sort of worry about, oh, who are, who are these strangers coming to, you know, I meet them on the internet. Um, who are they? So you think, oh, I just have to accept everybody. Or um, it's impossible to protect my property. It's impossible to protect from, you know, ne'er-do-wells or protect from um, party-goers or people that are just going to put their feet all over my furniture. Um, or they think bad, bad guests are going to trash my house. Um, actually, when you're running, again, this is not a real estate deal, this is a hospitality. And when you're marketing for hospitality, knowing who your ideal guest is and marketing to that person is the way to vet, um, to vet the people that are coming in. So you, this is when I work with clients. I figure out who is their guest avatar, who is it that they want to come and stay in their house, who is it that is going to most appreciate who they are. And there is, you know, I, I spend a lot of time on this, so I'm just going to skip skip right through it. But the questions to ask yourself are, who who is it that's coming to pay? Who is the customer? Um, are they families? Are they business travellers? Are they um, are they couples? Are they you know digital nomads? All of those are valid market segments. Pick a lane, know who they are, and market directly to that person. Thinking that you have to please everybody means you actually please nobody. So. When you know your guest avatar, that's where you start every single every single day almost of your of your minpaku journey. You want to know their values. You want to know what are they looking for. Um, what is important to them as a guest? What are their plans? Are they working from home? Are they on holidays? Um, are they there for a conference? What is their budget? So there's a key for every lock. There is a you know there is a Airbnb for every budget and for every need. So knowing where you fit and what your product looks like is the, is the best way. Um, so the fact is that Minpaku isn't a substitute for a hotel. A lot of people think, oh, you know, hotels or Minpaku. They're different experiences altogether. So not every traveler is wanting a Minpaku, right? It's, if it doesn't suit what you need to do, um, then, there's no, then there's no point. You know, if you need, a, if you need the, the services of a hotel, then a Minpaku is gonna be a big disappointment for you. So not every guest is a good fit 
for different hospitality styles or for different house styles or for different, um, you know, just <laughs> for all the different listing possibilities that there are. And not every group dynamic is a good fit. So I have clients, they have, they have a rule, no children because their property is not, you know, it's, it, it, it's not suitable for kids. They have a, there's a, a, a very extensive vinyl collection of, you know, jazz. Having a, a two-year-old with like, you know, dirty fingers on that, it's really gonna be a bad fit. So if you don't want children in your, in your place, you don't have to host them, that's okay. So myth two, the nightly rate is the only source of income. Now, revenue management is a big thing, and I'm only just going to scratch the surface here today. Um, a lot of people think that you have to discount to, you know, to get people to come and stay, or that price is the only thing that people care about. Then, if, with that sort of mindset, you're in a really fast race to the bottom. Um, because, um, you know, knowing what, um, knowing what your revenue management strategy should be um, is the way to... Um, maximize your revenue. So the, the, the fact really is that you can add 20 to 30 percent um, of additional revenue through knowing your ideal guest, knowing what they need and finding a solution for those um, for the needs of that guest. So you can use cross, I mean I, again this revenue management is a massive topic but you can use all the traditional marketing techniques of cross-selling and upselling and affiliate arrangements with other vendors where you can add, like I said, 20 to 30% of revenue on top of your nightly rate. And then um, when you have your pricing strategy linked with successful, with successful branding, then you're gonna be staying at the, again at the top of the revenue, um, <laughs> of your revenue goals. So a hotel is an accommodation product but Midpaku is a hospitality and experience product. So if you keep those things in mind, um, then you will be able to look at ways to add additional revenue streams. So myth, myth three, hosts are pariahs in their communities. So Ziv can say that that's not true. <laughs> I walk through my community and, uh, and the people running the restaurants nearby, they come out and say, Tracy, Tracy, you know, um, and uh, your money's no good here. So um, I have spent a long time building very, very deep ties with my community. Um, a lot of people think that, oh my, the neighbours are going to hate me or that, that guests are given cold shoulders when they, you know, if they go to a local restaurant, it's like, oh, you're from the Airbnb down the road, um, you know, we're not going to serve you. This is a myth. I want to break this down. The fact is that when you, when you work with your local community and you have deep ties with your local community, you have relationships with the friendly restaurants, this is a way that you can show your guests a great time. So your guests, um, if they follow your instructions, you go to, go to various restaurants, they will have a great time, that'll add to their experience, that'll add to their memories of their stay, you will get great reviews, um, and it's a win-win. So I would suggest that you create alliances with your neighbours, sponsor local community festivals. I'm always giving money to, um, uh, to the local uh, matsudis. Um, you know, the, the, the tanto comes knocking on my door and knows that I'll be, you know, throwing a couple of, uh, couple of man in for buying a lantern at the, at the summer festivals. I'm always good for that. And having those sorts of relationships mean that you will have a much better, um, you know, a much easier time of it. Uh, but the other thing is you're able to show your guests really what it's like to live in a place. So again, hotels are accommodation, but a minpaku is really a local experience. What does it feel like to live like a local in, you know, in, in a suburb of, of Tokyo, even if it's just for a week or two? I can show the guests who want to pay for that, I can show them that experience that's what they're buying, that's what they're paying. The accommodation part is an aside, really. It's the experience of understanding what it's like to live in a place. So the caveat here is that from day one, you've got to have very, very clear communications with your neighbours. Tell them exactly what you're doing. Um, a lot of the hosts that were doing it badly in 2013 were just like trying to you know, hide and pretend it wasn't happening. That's when you get yourself into trouble. So in summary, a minpaku is a full-service hospitality business. 
Um, it requires great systems for communication and logistics with your guests. Um, and education and information for the guests to be responsible citizens. That's more than just knowing how to sort your trash. Um, there's, there's a whole bunch of other information that I share with my guests so that they do become good citizens. And you hand your job as a, as a host um, is, well I see my job as a host, is to handhold my guests through the whole experience. And you've got to have a 24-7 response. So it's not passive income, totally not passive income, but the squeeze is worth the juice and I'll get into some numbers in a minute. So here's some case studies. I'm speaking too fast, I get very excited about this. <laughs> Sorry? I do, I get so excited about this. So anyway, so here's a snapshot of some two and two bedroom and four bedroom. So here's some numbers. You've had a lot of numbers thrown at you today. Um, here's some more. So if this is, again, really small, I can... <laughs> this is my magic stretching. Right. <laughs> so I'm looking at numbers, basically, of potential revenue of two bedroom units. So these are low-end units, mid-range units, and high-end units. So... And, a, a two-bedroom unit, a low end, mid, uh, a low, uh, you know, a low end. That's an older building. Um, it's for budget, so that the ideal guest avatar is a budget traveller, or they're visiting academics, or they're two to three couples. Uh, the feature of that particular building would be an older build in the suburbs, not close to a station. Um, functional decor, not pet friendly, small footprint, 40 to 60 square metres. And this is a sort of revenue, um, low season, medium season and high season. So income of over about a 12 month period, you're looking at about 5 million yen. So that's for a low end. Medium, again, you could be looking at approximately 6 million yen in, in 12 months, a high end, 10 million yen. This is revenue. This is straight revenue right now. So, but showing you two bedroom units is a is a massive, massive um, uh, switch. So, uh, split between the low end, the medium, and the high. The high. Sorry. One apartment, two bedroom, two bedroom. I'll get to your magic spreadsheet soon. This is for one. This is for one unit. Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. But. It really depends on if you're servicing a low, you know, a low-end customer, or if you're, you know, servicing a guest avatar that's a corporate relocation, someone who is, you know, paying that, paying um, uh, an average daily rate of, of thirty thousand yen a night. So ADR is average daily rate. So you've got an average daily rate of sixteen thousand a night down to thirty-three thousand a night, and that shows that shows you the difference in the standard of a, of, a low, um, of a low cost unit to a high cost unit and what the difference in revenue will be. Oh, wrong way, again. So here's the costs. I hope you can see this a bit, a bit more. Um, this is not the cost of the unit. I, as I said, I'm not the real estate person. Um, this is once you have the unit. So um, you have to decide if, it's, if, you're, if you're pricing it is going to be for a low-end customer, like low-end, like a, a budget traveller, or you're looking at a corporate relocation, which again is a higher, um, you know, a higher average daily rate. But break it down with the costs, setup costs. You've got a, a ton of setup fees, so furniture, the moving costs, utilities, um, licensing fees. So on a two-bedroom, the sunk costs you're looking at about a million yen. Variable costs. As a, as a Mipaku host, you have to pay the electricity, you have to pay the gas, the water, the internet, the management and the maintenance. So you're looking at um, a, a yearly total of around 2.5 million yen. So that's, what, that's for a two bedroom unit. I can, again, I've got the magic spreadsheet, I can get into this directly with you. So again, this is the two bedroom, low, medium and high. Year one profit, year two profit. Year one profit, you don't have all the setup fees. Year two profit is um, is obviously a, a lot higher. So a low end, you're really only making 200,000 200, yen a month on a low end unit as your profit. But for the high end, you can be earning 640,000 um, 640, a month 
um, on a high-end unit. And that's still, they're both two-bedroom products. They're both two-bedroom, they're also all three two-bedroom apartments. Um, they're just the difference in quality and also who was the guest that's paying for it. And I see a hand. Quick, quick clarification. Sure. Is that average through the years since you build into 180 um, No, this is based on a, um, on a 365. Okay. And, it's, and it's also seasonally adjusted. Um, the price that you can charge in, uh, on the 1st of April is very different from the price that you can charge on the 1st of February. It's a, it's a revenue management is is a whole thing. So knowing you know knowing the prices that you can charge uh, in Hanami or at Shogatsu is very different what you can charge in February when no one is travelling here. So compare this to a four bedroom. I've done exactly this. I've done I've done all these done all these calculations for studio apartments, one bedroom, two bedroom, um, and up to five bedroom. So, um, but if you look at the difference uh, between the two bedroom and the four bedroom uh, per month on the even a low end four bedroom, you can be clearing four hundred and eighty thousand. On a high end, you can be clearing a million yen a month on a four bedroom. If it's a high end, high bedroom like an, uh, a high end four bedroom, you're talking a house. You are you are targeting a corporate relocation. You're talking. You're targeting people that are um, paying for the the, uh, the high end high end sheets, the high end amenities, and all uh, and all of the all of the needs of, of a high end client. So if we can compare um, the long term rental versus short term rental, I've got to use some of Ziv's magic spreadsheets. Um, with I've done a case study. So this is a, a three LDK. There's 25 units, and the calculations are done on 24 units because one unit is going to be used for an on-site manager. This is a this particular building is in Otaku, so there's good licensing in Otaku. It was built in 2016. Purchase price 708 million, which is about is that 6.4 million dollars. Um, um, annual yield long-term long-term rental would be 3.8%. Annual yield for a short-term rental would be 6.8. So my advice to that client would be short-term rental is best. So again, this is Ziv's magic spreadsheet, and he gets down to this figure down here, 3.8. With my calculations, we get down to 6 6.8. And that's a, that's that's the building. That's a building that all has three LDKs. So it's a fairly high-end building. You would um, work on um, uh, a fairly high nightly average daily rate. Um, you would put in very high high-end amenities. You would put in very high-end um, uh, sheets and towels and all of those things. It's a fairly high-cost place. But the difference between a long-term rental and a short-term rental is is that amount. Case study two would be a building that has seven units, all at 1K, and there was one three LDK. So the calculations I've done on just on the 1K units, because the three LDK you would use for an on-site manager or an office. Again, this is, this is in Otaku, built in 2006. Purchase price, 188 million, which is about 1.7. The annual yield for this, pro for this particular property that a ZIV would calculate would be 4.2. I would calculate it at 4.6. My advice is this building is not a good building for short term rental. Not worth the headache. Hmm? Not worth the headache. Um, it's, it's not worth the headache. Or if you did like this building, you would convert some of, some of the 1Ks, you would renovate them and convert them into 2LDKs or 3LDKs. It's the same amount of work to run a 2LDK as it is to run a 1LDK. But the yields and the, the returns are much better. So again, this is Zip's magic spreadsheet. It's very small. I know this is very small. Um, people. 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Oh, sorry, I, you know, I've tried to put too much in this. I just get so excited. <laughs> 4.2 to 4.6. Um, so again, this property, not worth the headache. So long-term rental versus short-term rental. Long-term rental, it's passive. Um, you have a low turn, usually a low turnover of tenants. Usually they're unfurnished. There's no, you, you don't have to worry about utilities, there's low maintenance. 
Um, if you have lots and lots of small units in a big building, you have a higher return on investment. Um, and rent is your only revenue source, and it's an investment. Whereas a short-term rental, it ain't passive income. I hope that I've, <laughs> if there's one message I wanna get across today, is that short-term rental, it's not passive. Um, there, you have a high turnover of guests, it's furnished, which you have to pay for, you have to maintain, you have to include the utilities. There is a lot of maintenance. There's more bedroom. The more bedrooms you have, the higher returns that you have, and you need licensing. Um, you have multiple revenue opportunities. Um, it's not just the nightly rate, and it is a hospitality lifestyle. It's not set and forget. It's a full-time job. So, to summarise my day today, Minpaku is the modern evolution of the whole Minshuku tradition of hospitality. So it's sanctioned by regulations. There are regulations, you do have to follow them. Um, but when you have the business, it's a hospitality business. So it means you have lots of branding opportunities to, um, that you have to control your profitability and your sustainability. Airbnb is just one of your marketing channels. I do not work for Airbnb. I use them as my, one of my marketing channels. Um, I do not call myself an Airbnb host. Um, but the, a Minpaku business allows the host to give their guests a unique experience, something that they're not gonna get in the hotel. This is a value that they're offering people, and that's what you charge for. You charge for the value that you're offering your guests. And the Minpakus and hotels, they serve completely different um, needs and they have a different value proposition. Um, and the, the, the one great thing about Minpaku it is it, it's bringing new money into communities, into smaller towns, um, into uh, local suburbs. So, you know, people want to go and eat locally. The restaurants are very, very happy with that. It's not a hotel, it's not a passive income, it's in a class all of its own. So I feel like I'm a bit of an interloper in a real estate seminar. But if you're curious about, if you're curious about um, Minpaku, if you have a Minpaku and you want to get more profitability out of it, um, you want to add additional revenue streams to a Minpaku business, or you need a Tokyo property manager. So all of that stuff that I've just talked about, if it just like does your head in and you want someone to take care of all of it for you, I'm your girl. Scan that little code. You can set up a meeting and you can talk to me. Um, and um, I'd love to be able to, you know, just discover where you're at, and I can talk you into it or talk you out of it, depending on your personal situation. It's not for everyone, definitely, but when you are in it, you can make really good coin, um, but you've got to know what you're doing. I think that's the, really the, the message that I'm trying to um, put across today. So how am I going for time? Still a bit, Still a bit more minutes. Okay, there we go. Last slide. <laughs> and hands go up. Fantastic. <laughs> revenues or only the renting? That's, from, that's completely from Sif's numbers. So completely from Sif's numbers. I have not embellished his numbers at all. All right. Maybe, I was going to ask you that too. Maybe you can explain, like, give examples of what you mean by additional revenue except for, like, response. Sure, sure. Well, additional revenue streams. So, I, when you, when you get into who you're serving and what your product is, so this is a marketing thing rather than a real estate thing. So you understand what your needs of your guests are. You can, what are they gonna spend their money on anyway? And so you try, you, you say, well, you're gonna spend their, your money on this anyway. Spend it with me. I will make sure that the vendors that you choose are going to um, be reliable and give you the service that you need. And I get a commission, so it's a win-win. I've helped my customers, I've earned some money, and I've not had to do any more work. Love all that. Um, so examples are, Airport, airport transport, babysitters, um, tours, um, food tours, um, ticketing, um, uh, 
Disney tickets. So I, I make money when people buy Disney tickets. I make money when people buy their JR rail passes. I make money when people get a taxi in from, in from the airport. If they book it through me, someone else does the delivery of that service, I get a commission and I haven't done the thing. But I've offered a great one-stop shop to my guests who need that stuff. And, and also there's a whole bunch of other things you do, it's like early check-in, late check-out, all that stuff. You can, you can monetize all of that along the way. Mm. That's a whole other seminar. <laughs> or a beer. Um, you, you touched a little bit on, on the difference in um, the turnover yes. between short-term and long-term. Sure. And what I'm kind of wondering, obviously if you're doing short-term rental, the turnover, with the higher turnover, you're probably going to have a higher vacancy rate on average over the course of the year. So your 6.8% your return on the first example. Yes. Was that based on, I mean, what kind of an average vacancy rate did you base that on? See, again, that's a whole other seminar of making sure your calendars are filled and not relying on, like, I don't, I don't, I'm an, I'm an active host. I don't just sit there and wait for Airbnb or another person to send me a booking. I'm actively going out there. I'm getting direct bookings. I'm getting, um, in a word of mouth, um, you know, every one of my guests becomes a marketer for me because they're telling people about my business. So it'll, it'll still be higher than it would be for a long-term resident. Oh, for sure. Sign, sign two years. For sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, we, we run at about, you know, 85 to 95% occupancy. But my calculations were based on that. So, um, uh, so my, my, my calculations are based on an 82% occupancy, which is about my average. So, um, you know, high season, shoulder season, low season. So, yeah, that, it's not 100% occupancy, no. Thank you. Another question. So let's say I want to run this short-term uh, rental yes. site. Mm -hmm. You talked that there are two licenses, yes. one for the uh, Mimpaku and another for the Yoka. Mm -hmm. What, like, since there are so many restrictions for the Mimpaku, is there any point getting that license as opposed to getting the Yokan? Because it sounded that you can run short-term rental with a Yokan license. Yeah, it, it comes down to zoning. Um, so uh, there are certain places that are you cannot do any Mimpaku at all. There are some zones that you can only do weekends. There are some zones that you can only do 180 days. So it's set up 180 days at the federal level, and then the, the, the government allowed the local governments to set their own restrictions on top of. So um, places like Megaroku, you can only do weekends, or if you're near a school, you cannot do it at all, or you can only do school holidays. So again, I'm, this is a lot of, I didn't want to get too much in the weeds about, about the regulations. Due diligence before you get into it about zoning, whether you can do it, but that's a that's a phone call to the ward office to say, this is my address, can I do it here? If so, can I get it? Obviously, the, the, the gold standard is getting a hotel license. I encourage anybody, if you, if you can get a hotel license, get that, um, because it's, life is so much easier. But if you're, if the street is too narrow, if the street is less than four metres, um, you cannot get a hotel licence, you can only get a minpaku. However, because you've got all these other opportunities, you can rent 180 days on using short term and then have a hybrid system where you are doing monthly rentals, monthly mansion rentals for the remainder six months. But again, it's not passive. You do have to actively be going out, making relationships with people who are likely to be bringing in um, bringing in guests. Thank you. Hi Tracy. Hello. Um, so I know AirDNA is a common yes. uh, comparison tool used in the States. Does yes. that work good here? I mean, AirDNA is just a number cruncher. Okay. It's um, and that is is scraping the data from um, from the platforms. So, you know, they, they have APIs and little spiders go in and crawl and, and grab all that data and then it's all the data is crunched. Um, ADNA is a useful guide, um, but it is only a guide. Um, I, I didn't want to get into deal, you know, because it's, it's didn't want to get into the weeds. Um, but you, you can actually do it, do what Ziv has done and you, you know, you analyze the deals, what is a good area based on um, the, the number of people coming in, based on um, the demand, based on 
uh, the size, if, you, if you're close to uh, like a theme park. You know, all these things are all factors um, that, you can, that you can use uh, to analyse before you get into it. Um, and AirDNA is a good one, but then you use AirDNA and go, okay, let's look at the sort of 75 percentile. What is, you know, those properties, what amenities are they offering as well? You know, are the ones that have a hot stuff, this is talking the US market here, um, you, you find that if you look at, if you analyse different listings, the ones that have higher amenities are charging a higher nightly rate. Hot tubs, pet, um, being pet friendly, all of those things mean that you can be pushing yourself up on the average daily rate and not being a race to the bottom. So, thank you. Yeah. Subletting in terms of trying to do this sort of uh, venture, do commercial properties allow have different rules potentially? If Sophie has like a solo, uh, would that still fall under having to define permissions from the sure. That's called rental arbitrage, and I do a lot of that. Um, I also do a lot of co there's a lot of different models. Um, there's rental arbitrage, there's co hosting, um, and there's um, property management. So you're talking about rental arbitrage. Um, yes, it is possible. You do for, for any if you do not own the property, then you must get permission from the uh, from the owner. If it's in a building, then you need permission from the kumiai. The chances of you getting permission from a kumiai are buckleys and none, as Australians would say. There is zero chance of you being able to sub sublet from inside a mansion. So unless the mansion is owned by one owner, you'll never get permission from a kumiai to sign off on you getting a license. So you either own the property, like own a house, um, or uh, you work together with the owner, um, and again, the owner needs to sign off on it. But I have, a, I have a quite a few, and it was just a matter of negotiation. I pay slightly above market rates for my rentals. Um, I show that I pay them on time, and that I take really good care of their properties. So, yeah, it's, it's they're hands deep. They're hard to find, but they are possible. Sorry, um, yeah, so um, if you wanted to, say, rent um, for two or three months at a time, digital nomads, something yes. like that, so not below 28 mm -hmm. days, yes. um, not super long, so somewhere in the middle, mm -hmm. is that, how That's do those right. numbers work out, and, do, and what permissions do you need? Um, there, for subletting, you would, if you're going to be trying to sublet, then you would have to, then you're in a, you're likely to get in trouble. It's usually not on your contract unless you have specific permission. Um, in terms of the being able to list on, on an OTA, like Airbnb or Booking.com, if you do not have a license, you cannot list. You will not get any, you will not get any uh, uh, visibility in the marketplace. Um, but if you have your own relationships um, and you are able to find those digital nomads two to, two to three months, put them on a, put them on a, on a um, put them on a contract, a, a, like a service department contract, and I've forgotten the bylaw of the, uh, the rental, um, the real estate law, um, but you, it is possible, it is possible. To, uh, but the hard thing is, is getting the customers. That's the hard thing, because you won't be able to list on the, on the OTAs. But you don't need Minpaku. Sorry? Minpaku license you can avoid. Yes, you, if, you're rent, if you're renting over, over 28 days, yes, you, you, can, you don't need a Minpaku license. But you can't, you can't advertise in public on a, on a big site without it. So, as long, catch 22. As long as it's done with a tenancy lease in tenancy place. Tenancy lease in place. It has to be a tenancy. So mm -hmm. the kind of check-in, check-out that you get with Booking.com or Airbnb, that, that falls under Minpaku regardless of the length because there's no tenancy lease. Mm -hmm. 